Tonight we'll start talking about um, kind of the tail end of the gospel. And we were talking a little bit last time about the difference between um, sorrow, like worldly sorrow, and just touched on godly sorrow, worldly sorrow, just a little bit. And we're going to start talking about repentance tonight and what is true repentance. And I think all of that kind of plays into this conversation as we think about what is true repentance. What is it that ultimately, as we talk about the four doors, the importance of God and who he is, man, the importance of Christ and the nature of him, his life, his righteousness, atonement for sins on the cross and we come to the final door sinners and we're now calling people to believe so remember we were talking about <laughs> repetition is how we learn we want people to hear so that they can understand and then we're calling them to believe and then we're walking with them discipling them so that they learn theology and they develop convictions that they live by that guide their life. Their convictions become affections. Their affections for what? For Christ. So they have this love for Christ that will not let them go. And so they just cling to Christ. Did you get him? Good. So as I think about... Um, what kind of faith is a saving faith? And I'm thinking about um, when we think about what is it that we're saying to people really has a lot to do with what I believe, right? Because if I have kind of a man-centered faith, I'm going to have a man-centered gospel. I have a God-centered faith. I'm going to have a God-centered gospel. So this all kind of funnels down to this last point when we're calling people to repentance. That's if we call people to repentance. If we call people to submit to Christ as Lord. So a um, couple, um, you know, from radio, I brought a clip. Dr. John MacArthur, in one of his Q&A sessions, had just this incredible interaction with somebody who was already in the church, already a believer, but struggling with assurance a little bit. And so this was from the MacArthur Center podcast, and uh, this is just this clip of Dr. John MacArthur, but listen to how tenderly and how lovingly he speaks to this woman named Joy. And this kind of ties into what we were kind of talking about a little bit before class started. And it's about a five minute clip. So a little long, but really, really good. But listen to, listen to the way he listens to her 
and you can just hear just the loving kindness in his voice as he as he talks to her that's an answer to prayer to be here so here they are three real quick questions a little complicated how do i know if i am saved if i have blasphemous thoughts should i be taking communion if i am not sure if i'm saved if i am not chosen would i even care about being saved really good questions joy you have a wonderful name but sometimes it's hard to live up to isn't it i mean how would you like to be named joy and have to always be assumed to be possessing all of that I can, I can hear the cry of your heart, Joy. I, I, I want to make it as simple as I can. Um, the fact that you are asking these questions is evidence of the work of God in your heart. It is evidence of your desire for him and for salvation and to know him. That, that is evident there. The fact that you would stand up in front of all of us and, and unbury your heart in such a sweet and honest way is evidence of the, of the hunger of your heart to, to know him. And I think that's what you're essentially saying. Um, the way you know that you are saved is by your desire. Do you desire to know God? Yes. Do you desire do you desire that he would know you and love you? Yes. Do you desire to love him? Yes. Do you desire to honor him? Yes. Do you desire to obey his word? I do, but I I can't do it on my own strength. Well, of course not. Join the club. And that's why we're all here. This is the same with all of us. Uh, it's all of grace, isn't it? It's all of grace. The Apostle Paul in Romans 7 helps us because this is the Apostle Paul. This is the, the one that we would elevate as the, the supreme example of, of a Christian. And he says, um, well, he calls himself a wretched man because he says, I do what I don't want to do and I don't do what I want to do. Uh, he said, there is, a, there is a principle in me that loves the law of God, but I see another principle in me warring against the principle of my mind, and it's the principle of my flesh, and it causes me to do the very opposite of the things I want to do. And he says, oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from the body of this death? And that's, that's a very interesting illustration. One of the ways that murderers were punished in the ancient world was that the victim that they had murdered was, was strapped to their body, and eventually the decay from the corpse would destroy them. Paul feels, even though he's a believer, that he's got a, the dead body of his, of his sinful nature still tied to him. So what you're saying to me is essentially the same cry that came out of the noblest of all Christians. And that very cry is evidence of the work of God in your heart, that, that you desire to know God, to be loved by God, to love God, to honor God, to obey God, and that you know you can't is a statement of a genuine believer because you recognize that you aren't everything you should be and you are utterly dependent upon God himself and upon the Holy Spirit. That's true of your salvation. You can't save yourself and you can't sanctify yourself. So you're, you're where all honest Christians live. You, you're saying, I'm not what I, what I want to be, but I know what I want to be. I'm not what I ought to be, but I know what I ought to be. It's, it's about direction. It's about affection. It's about love. And we've talked about that recently when Jesus was restoring Peter uh, in John 21, he said three times, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? And Peter had been caught in disobedience again. And yet he said, Lord, you know, you know me, you know, I love you. Then feed my sheep. He accepted the failing uh, life of Peter, the tendency to be disobedient and um, even maybe to have uh, ungodly thoughts which is just part of that remaining sin nature. But he accepted that man, and he accepts all of us, if we love him and calls on us to love him more. So you don't 
You don't want to evaluate the character of your salvation by your failures. You want to assess the genuineness of your salvation by your desires, by what you love, what you long for, what you want. And you're here. And that, that says everything. This is not a, a place for people running from God. This is a place for people running to him. But asking the question is important. The, the purest joy, to kind of play on your name a little bit, the purest joy in the Christian life comes when we are obeying him, loving him, serving him, worshiping him. That's when we enjoy the most assurance. Security is one thing. Security means that I am saved and he will keep me until I see him face to face. I'm secure in him. That's not assurance. Assurance is the confidence I have in my mind of my salvation. Many people are saved. They're secure, secured by God in that salvation, but they don't always have the assurance. Why do we struggle with assurance? Because we know our weakness, because we know our temptations, because we know we're not what we ought to be. Sometimes because we fall into a pattern of sin and we lose our assurance. Sometimes because um, perhaps we have been taught wrongly that um, you might do something cause you to lose your salvation and that generates a certain amount of fear. But to go back to the main point, the very desire of your heart is the evidence of the work of God in your life because unregenerate enemies of God don't have those desires. Okay? Does that help? Thank you. Thank you, Julie. Pretty good stuff. Dr. MacArthur dropping nuggets of gold on us again. Um, you know, I think, as I think about, um, from an evangelism standpoint, you know, we're thinking of, like we're assuming that we're talking to unbelievers, right? Most of the time. Like you don't know who you're talking to really, right? Because so we're talking about asking questions and you're really trying to draw out of people what they believe, right? I want to draw out of people what they believe so that we can have meaningful conversations like that. So there was somebody that was in the church that was struggling with assurance and you could hear how her heart was breaking. Like she was in tears. You could hear her shaky voice. And he just held her hand and loved her and took her to the scriptures. And isn't that really what we're doing? As we visit with people, love them, asking questions. It could be as simple as, you know, a quick interaction, like when you're going knocking on somebody's door, introducing yourself. Uh, I'm from Grace Bible Church. Do you guys go to church anywhere? And then from that answer, you're just kind of trying to pull a little bit out of them. Either, yeah, we go to blank. Do you guys attend regularly? Or do you know you go a lot? Are you really involved? Or they might say, we don't believe at all. I, honestly, I'm, we're atheists. We don't go to church. Either way, <laughs> we're taking them to talk about God, right? Well, you know over at Grace Bible Church. The reason I'm talking about, I just want to invite you over because at Grace Bible Church, we have um, a high view of God. We hold a high view of scripture. And we would just like to invite you, if, if you're interested in learning to know more about God and his word, we would like to invite you over. 
um, do, what, do, you, do you believe in God? What do you believe about God? I mean, we know that the Bible says that he created and owns everything, Genesis 1-1, right? You probably know that. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the Bible tells us that he's perfectly holy and he demands perfect obedience to his law. And we also know that we fall short of that, right? There's not one of us that keeps God's law and never sins. And the Bible says if you stumble in one point, you're guilty of all. And that's really why Christ is so important. And can you tell me a little bit of what, you know, what, where'd you grow up going to church? What do you, you know, you just ask them some probing questions. Try to get them to talk a little bit about what they believe. Or well, where we go, you know, you might have a little bit of a background based on where they tell you they go. You might have a little bit of an idea, but don't make any assumptions about what they believe based on where they go. Ask them questions, pull it out of them. But like John MacArthur did there, hold their hand, love them, and lead them to the scriptures with the ultimate goal of calling them to repentance and to come back under the authority of God, submitting to him, submitting to Christ as Lord. And so that's what we're talking about today is what is true repentance? So simply put, true repentance is turning from sin and turning to Christ as Lord and Savior. So, you know, we always explain it as you were going this way and now we're going that way. It's a complete 180 of life. I was in rebellion to God and now I'm submitting to him. So this is in lesson three, I believe, if you're looking for it. After Jesus... Part four, you must repent and believe. We talked a little bit about repenting last time, 2 Corinthians 7, 10, and 11, the two types of repentance, false leading to death, and the other which is a genuine repentance leading to salvation. So true repentance is not just simply recognizing something that you didn't see before. Simple knowledge doesn't change anything in your life. Repentance, as characterized in Scripture, begins with recognizing one's utter sinfulness and turning from self and sin to God. And so, as we think about the... Okay, so we're trying to put this all together. Assurance and repentance. The reason I bring these two together is because I think if we understand repentance properly... I think it all kind of falls together. So when I say, how do you know that you will not fall away from the faith in your life? How do you know? Like, I mean, like seriously, tell me, how do you know that you're not going to fall away? Right. Will, what do you think? I'm thinking about how I don't have any personal 
You're a young man and you have a lot of life ahead of you. I don't have a verse in my hand right now, but I, you know, can you ask a question one more time? Yep. How do you personally know that you will not fall away from the faith in your life? How do you know something's not going to come along and cause you to fall and stumble and fall into an irreparable relationship where you say, you know what, I'm, I'm going to walk away from that. Because Christ has shown a steady anchor and he has been in my life no matter how, what comes along or whether I try and find my way out of it. Yep. I mean, God has firmly grasped me and nothing can take me out. What I tell people is even more great is that I can't fight myself out because I'm a sinner and I, I try and get out of it. And I, God could easily say, like, okay, you can go. But he does. Yep. He holds on to me and how grateful I am for that. That's really good. And God has held me through my life, and he will continue to hold me. I can't escape that grasp. And I yep. don't want to yep. because I always – Leon, how do you know in your life? I'm sorry. Nope, you don't. Please don't ever feel that way. Because I'm a, I'm a, uh, well, I could just say a JJ. I tell my wife, she goes, how was class? I was a JJ. That means Jabberjaw. Because yeah. <laughs> I always feel like I talk too much and take over the class. So anyway, that's why you're a natural evangelist at heart. You like to tell people about the Lord. So don't feel bad. That's not taking over. Well, in Colossians, this is in one of the letters to the Thessalonians, for sure. Paul talks about um, knowing that those were people were saved because they love God and love other people. And so I, I love God and His Word. I have a love for His Word. Do you see, did you guys hear any difference though between what you said and what Leanne said? Because she said something a little different and I think there's some experience here that we can learn from. She emphasized more of like that God is like God pursues her and got her. But you said the same thing, God will not do, let me go. We don't do the work for our salvation. God has done the work. Yep. How'd you say it? Did you notice the difference? I mean, I don't think Leah. Leah didn't notice the difference. Did you notice the difference? No. Um, the difference was was here's the specific evidence loving God and His people. Like that would be the difference. Is like as opposed to here's the theology of it. It's here's. She went. Let me say it this way: On your wedding day, when you stand up at the altar and you say your vows, right? How do you know that you will not violate those vows? 
How do you know that you will be faithful to your husband? How do you know that you'll be faithful to your wife and that you will not fail her? You will not let her down. Divorce is not an option. I will be there for you. I will not fail you. How do you know that you won't fail her?